Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, WCC. I have to ask that important question. Am I on? Okay, I'm on. We just prayed today's text this morning. We're going to be in the Lord's Prayer. Pray for me. I've been thinking about six, eight weeks about this sermon, which means I have overthought it. When you preach, you come across favorite passages. Up to this point, it's been Nahum. Nahum. I love that book. I think there's so much beauty in the first chapter, as well as terror. And I like when the Bible kind of holds both of those in view, beauty and, and terror, and how God reconciles those things for those who trust in him. I think this is going to be my favorite passage I'll ever journey through. In that, I'm not saying I'm going to be amazing in delivering it, but, but the goal that I have been able to find in this prayer has been beautiful. And I think one of the reasons why is because I've learned to know it. And I've been able to reflect on it and think on it in new ways throughout my day. Let's go in prayer one more time for my own soul before we begin. True and living God, we ask that you would be elevated in the preaching of your word. We pray that the words of Jesus would guide our souls. We thank you that through Jesus, we come to you as sons and daughters. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I woke up with a heightened sense of being a dad. It is Father's Day. Some of us enjoy this day. Some of us, for us, this is a painful day. I've been praying for you, some of you. Today has not been a very bright Father's Day. Maybe things have changed this year. Maybe relationships aren't as easy or simple as they were last year. Maybe you do not know your father. Maybe you are not close to your father. I've been spoiled rotten in having a father in the home all of my life. And I am so thankful for what that has done for me. Maybe that's not you. I pray for you. I, I want to love on you in prayer in that struggle. But today I woke up as a father and I felt it in, in a particular unique way that happens somewhat often in the Lawson home. I woke up on the couch. Um, sometime during the night, I'm not going to name children, but three out of the four, they did this. Somewhere, almost as my eyes are about to, to close, one comes in and they're afraid. I always tell them, okay, you can go ahead and come on in. We've learned not to fight when that request ha happens. You might fight that, that is fine. It's just, it goes so much quicker if we just make a spot on the floor. <laughs> so we made a spot on the floor. 12.30, I guess you could say in the morning, Zion is right against my face with his feet. Unbeknownst to me, Zebulun, I'm naming names, aren't I, is on the other side of Mama Bear. There is no room for me. 
so I've learned it's so much simpler if I just take myself to the couch and I wake up with a feel of being a father, sore in my right arm, my back is off of alignment, and it's the day to begin another day of tending to immediate needs. So at the breakfast table, we're enjoying some donuts because it's Father's Day, and that is, that is a separate food category in the Lawson home. Donuts is number one on that pyramid. And, and as we're eating donuts, we're talking about how all the kids, except for one, made their way into our, our bedroom. And Amber was talking about how, you know, dad one time in his life slept on the floor for like three months. Uh, and, and I did. I was preparing for a mission trip to Mexico when I was a teenager. I had a very hard time falling asleep because I wasn't disciplined. I was homeschooled, so I went to bed at like four in the morning and woke up at 11. Moms, I was that bad. Um, but I knew I had to be disciplined when I went to Mexico because we would have sleeping bags on the floor. And if I didn't sleep during a teenage mission trip at night, I, I wouldn't sleep at all. So I took it very serious. For three months, I put a, a sleeping bag on the floor and I slept there. And then Amber, she also did the same thing when she was a teenager. She went, or maybe 20, she went to a mission trip to Indonesia. She was in the jungle for, I think, four weeks, eating grubs, hanging out with people who've never seen a white person before. I mean, a real mission trip, not me in Mexico with Coke bottles. And she, she can say, yeah, I, I did that too. I had to prep in order to fall asleep. I slept on the floor. I share this example with you to justify wanting to give you the application before the sermon. We're going to be going through this prayer. And there's some things I would like for you to maybe practice or do as we go through this prayer. Many of you know it very well. Some of you are very familiar with it. And I want you to take this prayer and, and do a couple of practices. I was reading through uh, N.T. Wright's book, The Lord and His Prayer, and he has three suggestions that I think would bless all of us. Uh, first is, use this as an outline in your own prayer life. There, there are six petitions in this prayer, and if you can't find six, that's okay, but, but use this as an outline to guide your prayers. Now, don't be the legalist in saying if someone doesn't do all six of these, subtract some or add some, they're doing it wrong. I've been a part of many men's Bible studies in the morning where the guys are, well, there's only one way you can pray. And then I think, what about the Psalms? David's all over the place. Okay, so, so don't be legalistic on, on did you ask for daily bread? Of course you did. We always do that one. But did you ask that God would hollow his name? And, and did you add enough adjectives? And you pull out the thesaurus when you developed that one. So, so don't be a legalistic. But use this prayer as an outline when you come before God. Uh, another one that's really helped me. Use this prayer as a reflection and meditation. I am not patient. I do not like to slow down. I do not like to dwell on things and steady my feet. I like to move on to the next thing, understand something quickly, and receive more data so I can accomplish the next thing I might have on my agenda. Slow your life down. 
If you're busy, if you find anxiety, fear, a lack of trust in God, anger, calm your soul in this. And let me tell you, for the ones that need it most, this will be extremely difficult. You might think at first, all I am doing is chanting, and I'm like the Gentiles that Jesus warns about, not to be repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. No, echo Christ's words. Let them bathe and instruct your soul. It has profited me in a myriad of ways that, have, that has overwhelmed my sermon prep. Another way, and I really like this, and if you have young children, hopefully you'll pick up this discipline. Use this prayer to guide your prayer week. So it might look like this. On Sunday, you focus on God as our Father. And you lead your home or your own devotions in reflecting on God as Father. Monday, you're focused on God, hallow your name. In my life, in another one's life, in this situation, make your name supreme and ultimate. On Tuesday desire for his kingdom to come stir up that longing to see his face for the new heavens and new earth to to dwell among us if you have strength on wednesday ask for him to give you your daily bread those things that you need that are legitimate needs we're flesh and bone We need things in our lives to help sustain us and keep us. They can be physical. They can be emotional. On Thursday, ask for him to forgive you. Come face to face with some of those sins you're struggling. Repent of your sin. On Friday, ask that he would deliver you from evil. That you would not be temptated. Tempted. I want to say temptation. And then Saturday, pray for the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Be received. That's a beautiful way to guide your week. Now, in this context, it's painful for me to start in a chapter 6 and not a chapter 1. So I'm going to give a little bit of a context. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is explaining the kingdom of God. How the recipients of this kingdom, the citizens, are to go forward as Jesus being their king. And he's speaking to them about giving, about prayer, and about fasting. Citizens of this kingdom partake in these things. And Jesus doesn't want you to just figure it out on your own. He has instructions. And what I love about Luke, Luke 11 verse 1... The disciples have some questions about this. How are we to pray? Jesus tells them in verse 5, they're not to be like the hypocrite. The person that positions their greatness among others. I thank you that I'm not like so-and-so. And thank you for my giftedness. Don't be the hypocrite where you start praying and you now all of a sudden speak in in King James English. 
Now, if you do that while you order a taco at Taco Bell, then yeah, I think it makes sense that you, you bring it over into your prayer. But, but use your speech. Use your language. He is a holy God. He is sacred. He is majestic. But, but don't play the hypocrite. There is an audience of one when we pray. In a very real sense. Are your prayers speeches for your brother or sister to hear? Or is your prayer being offered to your God? Who knows your speech in public and in secret? And who knows your needs and what you truly reflect on? Be that person seeking sanctification in your prayer. So do not be like the hypocrite. He also instructs us not to be like the Gentile who is constantly repeating the same thing over and over and over again. Why would they do that? Because their God is weak and he is deaf and he needs to be inspired or bribed or motivated to do something. Is that our God? No. It is not our God. Jesus corrects that wrong thinking, saying he is a father that that knows you and that knows your need before you even mention it. So with children, you can be asked over and over again for a popsicle. Uh, They can can ask over and over again if the TV can be turned on, if they can go outside. And they know that if they ask over a period of time, they'll get that answer. Not all of them learn that that provokes sometimes a no so much quicker and harsher when if you just gave them two or three minutes, it could have been a yes. I want you to think about possibly the impatience we might have when asking and asking and asking. Or when we think we can come to a formula before God. I know that if I approach you and manipulate you this way, I can get what I want. There is a memory I have when I was 12 years old that I'm still so embarrassed of. Why don't I share it with you? (laughs) I grew up in Conyers, Georgia. Who remembers Billy Bob's? All right, so my younger sister, Hannah, she doesn't think this about herself, but it's true. When she wanted something when she was younger, she would get it because she's cute and she's the youngest and she's the baby. And I felt like I didn't know how to work my dad so well. Well, every Saturday, my desire was to go to Billy Bob's. It's like a, it's like a um, what do you call it? It's like a Chuck E. Cheese. And uh, my dad was, I think, asking while he was, you know, grooming himself for the day and getting ready, what do you guys want to do? And I, I signal Hannah, my younger sister, ask dad if we can go to Chuck E. Cheese. She runs in there and asks, can we go to Chuck E. Cheese? And my dad comes to me and he says, Daniel, I knew when you pulled her away, you wanted her to ask because you didn't trust me. You didn't think 
I cared for you as much as her. And so you used your sister. He was 100% right. When you come before God, do you feel that way? I do. I do. I confess, I do. I feel like I need to, to set the table and invite you to sit down after everything is in order and everything is clean. And then I can begin asking you a question. In a very real sense, I'm like the pagan that keeps repeating, 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 hoping that I can get the right response or make them happy or or make them big and significant. He is a loving father. He knows the relationship we have. And he says that we are to come. Jesus throws them into this prayer in verse 9. And like I said, in, in Luke's gospel, in, in chapter 11, it, it's, it's followed with, it, it proceeds from a question. Teach us to pray like John the Baptist's disciples learned to pray from him. We don't find in our Bibles the disciples saying, teach us how to do miracles and man, wouldn't we love to just have the divine touch? The disciples didn't even say, teach us how to preach. Instead, they ask, how might we pray? What a beautiful mystery we enter into when we pray. And beloved, sometimes we minimize it. This might be because we have it so readily available. It might be because we live by sight and not by faith. I don't know what reasons it might be for you, why why prayer might be um, a wrestle. Why it's not ultimate. I can confess to you, I want to grow leaps and bounds in my prayer life. So, so let, me, let me plug in uh, July 5th. The last prayer we had at men's prayer, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. Men just weeping. Now, if that discourages you, zone this out. But men just weeping, asking for forgiveness, asking for strength, asking for guidance, asking for blessing, praying over one another. We're learning the affections we have for one another as we go before our God in holy conversation, sensing Him, feeling each other's longing for Him, and receiving it. The disciples saw how Jesus prayed. They felt that sense as the divine one, the perfect man, spoke in relation to his father. So he tells them in verse 9, pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want to spend time on the hour for a moment. Jesus has told them, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrite 
Find your prayer corner. Remove yourself from a pedestal. And in the secret, he wants us to think of our. We, we have in verse 11, us, our. Verse 12, us, our, we, our. Verse 13, us, again, us. All these pronouns are in the plural. Don't let that sound geeky, okay? Let me encourage you to to grab something and mark all those pronouns that are in the plural. When God the Son wants his siblings to pray to our Heavenly Father, he wants us to think of each other. He wants us to be mindful that we are not that only child before our God, but he wants us to have an understanding of us. And he has a long way to go with these disciples. Remember when they, when they interrogate Jesus or the disciples' mama even gets involved? Who's going to sit at your right hand? Remember when, when Peter speaks up and says, I will never deny you. I know these guys, but they're not as great and excellent as me. And, and I, will, I will outshow them all and I'll impress you. We have a culture that is, that is communicating how important you are. How your voice needs to be heard. How your opinion needs to be respected. And the stupidity that you have your truth. And your truth can be different. That's, that's illogical. Go before your God with a heart that is known you are in a great family. Those of you that are raising children now, I imagine it is your desire that kids live close, that they have strong relationships, that they stay connected, that they love and bless one another. Those of you that are now in that next phase where kids are adults, is that not what you hope? That siblings stay connected? That they're, they're loving on one another? That they speak to one another? And isn't it painful when they don't? They are at opposite ends. They're not speaking to one another. Holidays are filled with juggling and tiptoeing and tears and accusations. Pray knowing that you are a part of a family. And one of the best ways in which WCC, you can exercise this, is praying for this body here. So I don't cry this morning. I'm not going to name some of the brothers I've been praying for. Some of the different needs, some of them physical and family members, what they're going through, some of them financial, practical things that they, they need. God loves it when his children pray not just with, but for one another. In corporate worship, in times of designation where we come together like a men's prayer, and in our own prayer closet. He is not your father. He is our father.
we come to the word father. And this can be a a painful word for some of you. Um, There's a minister I listen to sometimes on occasion, Mark Driscoll. I'm not saying he's without error. You might hear that that name and think, danger zone. Um, I appreciate him on some things. And he talks a lot about something he calls a father wound. Some of us have fathers that were not present. They're hard to trust. They've let us down. Uh, they're there, but, but they don't really defend you or, or speak for you. They're weak. Sometimes they're too strong. They have that strength, but not that gentleness, knowing how to apply the right level of strength on something that's fragile. This father is not that father. And sometimes we come to this passage and we think that this is the word Abba, which means daddy. I think that's somewhat included here. But I think there's so much more than just that word daddy. In ancient times, the father was the leader of the home. You would not know how to make sense of this world. You would not know how to feed yourselves, how to provide for your phone. You did not know how you functioned within society. And that father was the one that guided you and sought to bless you. That you would flourish in this life. I would encourage you to go to the Gospel of John and visit the, the Lord's Prayer in Gethsemane. As he goes before God as Father. It's not so much of a daddy relationship here as it is help me as I am seeking to be perfect in obedience. How may I represent you? How may I carry out your name? That's the function and role of a father. To carry out a name. To prepare one for life. To bless one. To enjoy their company and be that guy who throws you up in the air. All of that is included. This Father's Day, fathers, be very aware of this reality. You bear God's image in a very unique way. The way in which you give out love. Your children will translate how God gives love the way you laugh and how you enjoy things communicates to them the joy God might possibly have how quick you are to forgive gives them that confidence when they fail God yet again how you soak up this earth and how you treat the relationships around you have a profound impact on how your little ones interpret this world it's a sacred calling it's a terrifying calling but at times it is just so fun so he mentions our father this is the part of the prayer that throws me in circles In my seminary days, I would have been very bold and obnoxious and said, this is the disciples' prayer. This isn't 
the Lord's Prayer. The Je- Jesus doesn't need to ask for forgiveness. Jesus has no debts to be paid. Uh, luckily, that stupid version of Daniel's not here. Um, I still need upgrades. This is very much the Lord's Prayer because without Jesus, we could not say, Our Father. If you do not know Jesus salvifically, only know about him, you cannot say, Our Father. When Jesus did ministry on this earth among the Pharisees, the most religious, the most pious, he said to them, You're a son of the devil, you're seeds of the serpent. You, you, you place heavy weights around those around you. You do not know God. Some people might be offended at that. Are you saying that I'm not a son of God? In a very broad sense, you may be. You have been blessed with being made in his image. But spiritually, you are not his son or daughter. And you are not yet granted entrance into this kingdom. John tells us in the beginning of his gospel, chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, that's Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. This right had to be given even to those who believe in his name. Jesus is asking the disciples to pray a prayer That cannot be prayed without the name that is above every name. That's why this is the Lord's Prayer. He is needed in order for you to step foot into it. Jesus himself says, no one comes to the Father but through me. You can be religious. You can be that, that, I'm going to use the word, that stupid phrase, spiritual But if you do not know Jesus, you live in a fairyland that ends in disaster. You're asking others to play pretend, but you aren't living the reality of knowing God, of receiving God. Paul also takes up this language. Galatians 4, Greg's going to be touching on it soon. That God sent his son that we might receive adoption. All of us in here that have been saved by the power and blood of Jesus are adoptive kiddos. This does not mean that we're we're loved less. In adoptive homes, it's not like you love those that are in the bloodline and then those that have just been added in. No. The the beautiful beautiful thing about when God adopts one is they now receive his name, they are given this inheritance. Their identity is transformed inside and out. It is because of what Jesus has done through the Spirit that we can now say accurately, spiritually, our Father. Jesus adds this phrase, who is in heaven? This is a description to show us the grave distance between us 
and him. This father is in the heavens. This father is a Lord of all things. This sovereign is the one who simply enunciates and cosmoses are created. At the end of this prayer, we land in asking not to be in the hands of evil. We, we, we want to be delivered from evil. We need forgiveness. We need things like bread to sustain us. And our Heavenly Father is in no need of rescue. Our Heavenly Father is not tempted. Our Heavenly Father sustains Himself and is the only being in existence that is self-sustaining. When Jesus asks us to boldly come before our God as Father... He elevates him yet again by declaring how he is divine. This should should place within our, our toes a sacredness as we move forward. And at the same time, a confidence. He is able to do all things. With man, there's plenty of things that are impossible. Plenty. With God... All things are possible. We come to the first petition here. The first request. And it would be that God would hallow his name. I I said previously that prayer might be a harder discipline for you. You might not be satisfied with your prayer life, but I think this is evidence of everyone becoming a Christian. You might not remember your conversion experience. It might have been a long time ago and you were little and you constantly prayed. Maybe it happened later in life. Much later you're an adult and and you've found reasons against the faith but that have been overcome by the Lord opening up your eyes. And if that's you, if you're the latter, you can remember, I imagine, moments where you just kept praying. Like everything that came before you, you praised God for or you asked for his uh, instruction in. I remember hearing about a group of teenagers. Uh, One of them just got saved. And they were asking, hey, you know, after we hang out, you want to continue the party over at Wendy's and hang out with us? And the guy said, let me pray about that. The other guy was like, okay, you got to cool it, bud. Like, you can go to Wendy's without divine prayer here. That might have been your experience where you just kept finding yourself in prayer. It should be natural for a child to brag about their father. If you find one of these little kiddos running around talking about how great their dad is, that's a sign that their dad's egotistic, or that they have a great relationship with dad. All right? He knows the special things about them. They know how special their dad is, how unique he is, how how better he is, how he can beat up yours, because I've seen what he can do when he brings in groceries. So, So they are ready to boast and brag. They know the strengths of their father, and they know those weaknesses too. 
evidence of a good relationship with a child between their father is they brag on them. Evidence of a healthy Christian is the same. They brag on him. They make his name great in their lives. Among others who are wrestling, they make his name great. The application in this is overwhelming for us. When you receive good gifts, you connect it to the benevolent Father who has provided, who has remembered, who loves to spoil. Don't take with spoiling that negative connotation with it. I mean spoil in the best way possible. Unlimited resources, love that is unending, grace and all-knowingness that seeks to lavish upon you. Grace upon grace. When you are in sorrow and in pain, it's in your bones and it's keeping you up at night. When you have that worry that is nagging and nagging and nagging, we can come before our Father and ask, make your name great. When there's a friend or a loved one who does not know the Father, who is in suffering or living in earthly bliss, take this prayer with you, beloved, and ask that our Father in that moment would make His name great. When things are dry, it's vanilla. When you don't know how to motivate yourself to the Word, when you feel like you keep repeating yourself in prayer, when nothing works, go before Him and ask that He would make His name supreme. The outside world would think, what an egotistical prayer to pray that God would make himself the most important thing. And like I've said before, and I will say probably a thousand more times, the most holy thing God can do is elevate his name. Because nothing is above him, nothing is greater than him, nothing is worthy of praise like our God's name. Let's bow in prayer. Father, what a joy it is to be a father and to know you as father. We pray as we travel through this prayer, we will continually come back to your greatness and your goodness. Father, some of us have a wound from fathers. Some of us have a hard time understanding this or trusting you in this. But I thank you that you have not left any of us who seek your face fatherless. That when you come again, we anticipate being greeted by our Father. Make us relying upon you as children. And make us trusting in you as children are trusting. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.